0: If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. All right, good morning, everybody. I have the privilege and the honor of introducing to my friends, some of my friends. So it's a good day for me. Um, many of you know the name Wild Heart Ministries. Uh, because I talk about them a lot, and because some of you have donated clothing and uh, cookies and um, time and money. So thank you for that. Um, Today you get to hear a little bit from the founders of Wild Heart Ministry and some of the staff that work there, um, just about what is happening in Allison Hill, um, and just like the amazing things God's been doing uh, in the inner city of Harrisburg. So Um, If you would, please just join me in extending a warm welcome to my friends, uh, Tannen and Christina Herman. I guess just Tannen's going to be speaking today. Christina, beautiful wife, is back here in the back.
1: We all know the real heroes are the wives, so that's, that's Christina in the back over there. And of course, here, you can just join me. Much higher chance you'll pay attention if you have two little girls up here to stare at. You can stand right next to me if you want. Let's do it as a family this announcement is exactly how we live our lives. We do it all together um, so anyways, yeah, my name's Tannin Herman, and I, I just figured I was kind of laughing on the way in here. So much from this church has actually made its way to the inner city of Harrisburg. The least I could do is cross the mountain and serve you all by giving you an announcement so <laughs> so. No, anyways, gosh, it has been incredible. It's really like my joy to be able to just spend a few minutes to tell you guys everything that's been taking place in Harrisburg. My wife and I actually moved there from Oklahoma six years ago. Uh, we had nobody give us the inside scoop on what life was going to be like. Um, we did not move into Harrisburg to do an inner city ministry. That's actually far the total opposite of why we moved there. Um, but God uh, did what I would call the divine bait and switch, where you show up thinking you're going to do one thing, and then he says, just kidding, I brought you here to do something else. And uh, and it's been quite the journey and joy, but really what I'm excited to kind of report back to you guys about the worthiness of your time, your emotions, your prayers, uh, your, your uh, funding, all the different things you guys have participated. It's actually kind of fun how uh, so many in the room have already been here to come and work with us in Harrisburg. Um, is that uh, we've been learning a lot of the dynamics of change and transformation that's been taking place in Allison Hills since we've been there. And I know that I, I'm, I'm not uh, arrogant enough to think it's all us, but I know that God has brought us there to be a part of the bigger thing that he's doing in that city. And what that looks like in our area is uh, many people uh, intentionally avoid Harrisburg, just the city itself, and then even further avoid my neighborhood. And, um, and, you know, and they've had plenty of reason to do that. When we moved in in 2013, Harrisburg was actually listed as the 25th most dangerous city in the United States. I don't know if you knew it was that bad, but it was actually pretty bad. Violent crime was a big problem in that area. And uh, in the last five years, we've actually, uh, it was just documented by Penn. Oh, keep your shirt on, cutie. You can, you can dance like David later, okay? Um, uh, in the last five years, Penn Live, actually, if you're familiar with the, the reporting, they uh, just released an article. Is she still doing it? Are you still undressing behind me? Okay, mommy says to come sit down or wear your clothes. Those are your options. (laughs) Oh, look, a creative miracle. Her arms grew out. (laughs) You think that's silly. Anyway, so uh, just in the last five years, actually, the murder rate in our city has been cut in half. And when they... Yeah, that's something to get excited about. And uh, when they... uh, when they went around trying to find out why, they couldn't figure out the reason why. Those are my favorite kinds of ones, because as a believer, you're kind of like, well, oh, I know the secret. Um, and so the, the the fun thing is that uh, the reporter went around investigating, asking the chief of police and a whole bunch of different groups why they think that the homicide rate has been cut in half. And then even furthermore, she did this data trend to find out where the homicides are taking place. And they've, they, for uh, the last 30 years, have been historically concentrated right where I live. Um, and there's no homicides in that area anymore. And so she's like, Well, I don't understand. Why is that the case? So she went around and just did uh, personal investigative journalism, talked to some neighbors, and they all said the same thing. Well, have you talked to Wildheart yet? And so it's just so fun for our neighbors to be able to celebrate with us like the real transformational power and change of the gospel, the simple gospel coming into a community. And I wouldn't even say coming in as if it wasn't there, but more like empowering and illuminating the individuals who are just holding on to a hope for a future that maybe we're on the verge of giving up. They're just weary from believing. And uh, so it's just been neat to see that incredible blessing. Also, we've just seen um, uh, just an incredible transformation onto the the physical uh, aspects of the community. Just in the last three years, we've removed 1.6 million pounds of trash from 40 blocks of that community. So if you haven't been in Allison Hill, in a lot of ways, I I think it's um, uh, an opportunity to get some real close-to-home training of what a third-world country might feel like. Um, just the mix of culture there. A lot of the crises that they face in that neighborhood are very similar to things that you'd find overseas. And to see, um, really, God just shine his light very brightly on that community and bring about such a powerful change in, honestly, a very short amount of time is just mind-boggling. And it's it's actually uh, graphing, uh, uh, grasping the attention of news and media outlets all over the region, and they're all just like, what in the world is going on down there? How is this happening? So it's just exciting to be right in the middle, in the forefront of all of that, and say, actually, Jesus is on us he's still alive and well, and when he says that my, my name is enough, then all we have to do is believe it, and we get to see the fruit of that happen, so um, the, the other exciting thing is just to encourage you guys, is oftentimes, uh, I know that when we started our assignment, it was really a simple assignment of obedience, where we were praying, and I'm sure similar prayers that you guys pray for yourselves here, we are praying for a revival, an outpouring of God's spirit in an unprecedented way, and we're like, you know, using all of our good language, you know, Christian language, and God was just like, okay, well then go pick up trash. And then you kind of like, okay, just kidding. You clear your ears out and you go back into this place of prayer. And you're like, okay, Lord, no, no, pour out your spirit, salvation in the streets, Lord, healing, signs and wonders. He's like, yeah, yeah, I heard you. Go pick up trash. And so we started doing that. And the fruit of uh, the simple act of love and kindness by going and demonstrating the gospel in its purest form, which is the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. We've seen an awakening within our community now where individuals are sitting on their porches kind of, Confused and dumbfounded, why all these strangers are in the neighborhood cleaning up trash, and they're reaching out and asking, "Would you pray for me?" Or what do you believe? Or is that Jesus? And this curiosity has actually bloomed into individuals giving their lives to Jesus. Many of them for the first time. You know, they've been. I, I, I like to share our neighborhood is overly evangelized and under Jesus. but that is beginning to shift and change as we're seeing individuals literally on their por- on their porches getting saved, healed, and delivered. Like I don't know about you guys, that sounds like the gospel to me. So. Uh, anyways, just wanted to thank you guys for your support and, uh, and invite you to come. If you haven't been out there, it's honestly like an incredible thing. So, I mean, as I said, you know, a lot of people uh, spend a lot of emotional energy finding ways to justify not coming to our community. But if you come, you will see just God on the move in an incredible way. Even just yesterday, we had a big block party and we probably had about... I've just given you your opportunity. It's your time to shine. Uh, We had about four or 500 of our neighbors show up to our yard for just a big feast, and we celebrated, and we just got to lead everybody in declarations of gratitude and thanksgiving for what God is doing in the community. And it's really neat to see how God has positioned us in a way to almost disciple an entire community at the same time. So it's like, my church doesn't meet weekly. My church meets every few months, and we get to do a little bit of family business where we get to talk about all the things that God's doing in the community, and we celebrate those things. And so we would love to have you guys come and celebrate with us, um, and, and be a part of that ongoing story. So we'd love to talk with you guys more, but especially those of you guys who are interested in what's going on, how you can be a part of it. We have a little table that uh, we've been given there in the back, um, and we also have good coffee. You're getting heavier and heavier. Okay. <laughs> we, have, we have great coffee that we roast uh, there at the mansion. It's a way that we support what we're doing as well. Um, so if you like coffee, if you like to give something, get a little something down to encourage that direction as well. So anyways, thank you guys so much for having us, and we're blessed to be here. That's kingdom right there, guys. It's kingdom. You know, revival impacts the individual. Reformation impacts a whole community, a whole state, a whole nation. And so that is a manifestation of reformation. I honor you guys so very, very much. Well, at this time, we'll dismiss uh, the children and the youth, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just declare and decree right now that our children are for signs, wonders, and miracles. We declare and decree that our children will arise and fulfill destiny and accomplish the plans and purposes of God in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Are you, how, many of you, how many of you guys are ready to receive something? All right. Now, I know that we have already received something from our time in worship, but I believe that God really wants to release some freedom to you today. Are you guys ready? All right. Um I wanted to start out by uh saying a little family story that we had. Uh Is this mic on? Yeah. You want to turn it up a little bit. Pap needs to hear it some more. All right. So, uh so I'll give you a little family story. Um so my kids go to a Christian school and and the the school was kind of filled up with different de- denominations and different theologies and all that stuff. So, uh Aiden was was telling me that he was in class and uh, they had some extra time. So Aiden's really into music right now, and uh, he's into heavy music right now. And uh, he he said, "Oh, they give us time to like listen to music and stuff like that." So he was playing one of his favorite bands right now is Disciple. And if you didn't know, they they're loud and they scream and they do a lot of that stuff. and so he started playing it, and a couple of the girls says, oh, we're not allowed to listen to that. And he's like, okay, so this is a, in the mind of a, well, 12-year-old now. He goes, so what I did was I just put on one of their mellow songs. And I thought, that, that's interesting. He's like, well, it's not heavy. And I said, right? And it was funny because I, I help out with gym class, and they were, uh, I was, they were doing like stretches and stuff like this and the girl goes to me she goes really innocently she goes you look like you listen to rock music and I and in and, and looking back um I said to her I said I do I probably was like I do and then late, thinking later that probably wasn't like a positive thing on her end <laughs> But, yeah, Aiden likes to listen to his music a lot. And uh, Aaron even said, she, you know how you wake up in the morning and you have a song in your heart? Aaron's waking up with Disciple on her heart. It's, we hear it so much. But anyway, so I wanted to talk to you today about something that all of us can really relate to, and that's discouragement. I mean, I would say that most of you have felt or experienced uh even been in a season of discouragement at some point. And so we know the feeling of discouragement, but do we understand why we experience it? Or what is the purpose of discouragement? Now, discouragement is simply to remove or to separate you from courage. I'm going to say that again. Discouragement is simply to remove or separate you from courage. Courage. Now, it's important to point out that discouragement, say discouragement, and fear, say fear, work together. They partner together. But their goal, they have one goal in mind, and that is to influence you. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, this verse is referring to two spirits. The first one that it talks about is the spirit of fear. And then the other one is the spirit that we have been given, which is described as one of power, one of love, and one that of a sound mind. So that's the Holy Spirit. So it's important to make this distinction because that spiritual beings is part of our spiritual DNA to respond, to relate, and to be influenced by the spiritual world around us. Obviously, we have a body, right? Spirit, soul, and body, we have a body, but who we really are is a spirit. We're spiritual beings, and we were actually designed from the very beginning to be impacted by the spiritual world. And so this is really important because Romans says, Paul says, Those who are led, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Romans eight fourteen, for those who are led by the Spirit. Remember I said uh, earlier that we were actually designed to be impacted or be influenced by the, the spiritual world because we're spiritual beings. And Romans 8 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So as children of God, now we are led by the Spirit of God. And because we're in Christ and we're new creation, our attention has shifted. This is why we're commanded to keep our eyes on Jesus. So we were created to be led, influenced by spiritual realms. This is how we were created to function. Whether, we're, whether we realize it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, we're being influenced by the spirit realm. So if we allow fear, so what, what is Paul saying to Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's saying in the spirit realm where, the, where fear has influenced, that is not the spirit that you have been given. You are not to be impacted by that spirit. So if we allow fear to control us, we are surrendering to its desire. What is the desire of any evil spirit? To steal, to kill, and destroy. But it does it by control. Why does the spirit of fear, like a lot of times we think, well, the spirit of fear is there to make us afraid. But really, the spirit of of fear is there to control us. And it controls us for one end in mind, and that is to steal, to kill, and destroy. So when there's fear or when there's shame or discouragement, its goal is to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. So a spirit is a coordinated strategy to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is why Scripture tells us to not give a foothold to the enemy. So fear partners with discouragement to gain control, influence, and when we see this partnership, we see this partnership revealed through Scripture. Let's look at Deuteronomy. Wow, I said that correctly. How about that? Miracles do happen. All right, I'm like, dude, I'm All right, uh, do, I'm not going to say it again because <laughs> I, already, I already passed that test. All right, so uh, chapter 31, verse 7 through 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, How would you like an encounter like that? Come on, let's, let's come before all of Israel. And then what does he say? Be strong and courageous, for you must go with the people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is where they partner together. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. i say that again. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do you see how fear and discouragement are tied together? A lot of times we think that discouragement is rooted in disappointments. But really, discouragement is rooted in fear. And the reason we're functioning out of discouragement is we're trying to protect ourselves. So I love this ex- exhortation from Moses. He says, be Strong and courageous, and then what does he say? For you must go. Say that with me. For you must, for you must go. So what is he saying? You must step into your promised land. You must fulfill your call. You must be brave and confront your adversary. See, discouragement questions it all. Has discouragement ever said, is that really the place I should be going is this really the time? Right? Am I really the one to make this happen? You got to remember that Joshua has encountered the people of Israel, and what were they known for? Complaining? Murmuring? Even uh, one translation said pig-headed? So he's seen, he's seen how, how Israel has reacted. So he has past examples to go from but Moses says wait wait a second be strong and courageous for you must go see discouragement will cause you to weigh options you have never been given and that's why Moses cut through all the noise cut through all the discouragement cut through all the chatter and declared over Joshua you must go See, the truth is, a lot of times we need leaders that will not only just give you a pat on the back and tell you how amazing you are, but we need leaders that will say, no, you must go. This is your calling. This is your purpose. Cut through all the noise. Now, discouragement means to be shattered, be dismayed, be broken. So when you become discouraged, you become separated. Think of like a glass or and I smashed it on the on the ground. What do you see? All these pieces, right? So this is what discouragement looks like. You feel separated and you feel like it's difficult to piece things together. So your identity becomes disjointed from your calling. Like who am I? Oh, you called me to that? And see, discouragement will separate your calling, right? It will separate your calling from your identity. Your vision will become disjointed from your present. How many of you have ever had a vision from the Lord and you looked at your present and you say, not going to happen. It doesn't seem real. And that's what discouragement does. It takes your vision and it separates it from your present because how can this happen? Other versions will say dismay. And dismay means to cause to lose courage or resolution because of alarm or fear. Do you see how they partner together? To lose courage or resolution because of alarm or fear. Now resolution is a firm determination to do or not to do something. When you lose resolution, you lose confidence. How many of you have a computer screen at home? I would say most of us. Uh, Now, you know that your computer screen can uh, be, be displayed in different resolutions. And so the higher the resolution, the clearer, the sharper the image, right? And if you would lower the resolution, what happens? You lack clarity, right? And it and it becomes blurry. Another thing with resolution is when you lower the resolution, the icons or the things on the screen get bigger. Have you ever done this before? You lower the resolution. Actually, Mom, I it makes me laugh when I go to look at Mom's computer because she has the resolution really low and it's really big. But that's one thing that really happens is when you lower the resolution the things on the screen become bigger. So let me give you some signs of discouragement. You lose clarity clarity and blurry vision. When God's vision was imparted, it was crystal clear. But because of discouragement, uncertainty creeps in and vision becomes murky. How many of you, God spoke something to you and you were so clear of it? wow, this is so good. This is so powerful. And then disappointments start happening and discouragement comes in. And then you're like, I don't even, I don't see the connection. Right? I, I think I've heard this from Jane Hammond, and, but I think she heard it from Bishop. But I always loved it. Never doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. So that was just, that was just extra there for you. So your circumstances become magnified. What's a sign of discouragement? Your circumstances become magnified. See, when you lose that firm determination, when you lose resolution, little things, every molehill becomes a mountain. Every obstacle becomes impassable. Little things will cause your attention to be diverted. When discouragement isn't confronted and it prolongs, your life will appear disjointed. Now, this, I believe, is an extreme case. But a sign of discouragement is to the point where you feel broken. You feel like there's something wrong with you. And that's where you become shattered, like that broken vase, where it feels impossible to fix. And there's this deep sense of hopelessness. But let me give you the language of discouragement Things that we'll say when we become discouraged. You know, I can't handle this. I cannot handle this. Well, you were called to it. Well, so if I was called to, then I was created for it. So I have the power to handle it, right? So discouragement will say, you know, I can't handle this. I'm done. Have you ever said, I'm done? I'm just done. I am done, 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 done. You know, nothing makes sense anymore. Do you see the, the, the vision is becoming blurry? You know, there's always an issue. Have you ever said that before? There's just always an issue, always. I've just learned to expect the worst. Here's a big one. What's the point? What is the point? Are you called? I love Moses. He cuts through all the chatter and says, you must go. Come on. Be strong and courageous for you must go. And discouragement will get us to a place where we question things that we were never meant to question. And one of the reasons we could find ourselves in a cycle of discouragement, and what I mean by a cycle is, You have discouragement, things get better, and then it's just this reoccurring. It's like clockwork. So, one of the reasons we find ourselves in a cycle of discouragement is because we're trying to protect ourselves from something. Remember, fear partners with discouragement. So, really, if we're discouraged, we might want to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of failure? Am I afraid of rejection? Because discouragement leaves us in a place of inactivity. And so we, we set up these walls. We set up these phrases. Like I said, you know, I can't handle this. What is that an excuse? I'm done. I'm done. Come on. Obviously, I'm preaching to myself today. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Many people want to confront the feeling of a spirit Rather than identifying why a spirit is harassing them. Remember, the end goal of fear is not to make you afraid. The end goal of fear is to control you. I'm so afraid. It's not the it doesn't come to give you a feeling, it comes to take control. And I believe if we realize that, we'll be wise to the enemy. So what, when I feel fear, oh, you're trying to control me. Remember, we're spiritual beings created to be impacted by spiritual realms. This is why in Romans, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. What does the spirit of fear want to do? It wants to lead you. Shame wants to lead you. Discouragement wants to lead you. But if we're children of God, what should our attention be on? The spirit of God. Come on. The feeling of hopelessness and anger, isolation, divided mind, the lack of clarity, the lack of motivation are not the end goal of discouragement. They are just symptoms. Remember, Joshua had plenty of reasons to be discouraged. Joshua was expected to lead a people that had a history of complaining and rebellion. So he had a history of it. He knew what they were like. Now Joshua is expected to lead this people. When we view our future through the negative experiences of our past, we grant access to the spirit of discouragement. Remember where I said the scripture says to give no foothold to the enemy? You see, when we look at our future based upon our negative experiences, that leaves an open door for the spirit of discouragement. Because what does discouragement say? This always happens. What's the point? Why should I go? Who am I? Can you see how fear and discouragement partner together? When we only address symptoms, we will stay in cycles. Let's say that again. When we only address symptoms, we will stay in cycles. Could you imagine if you only address the symptoms of a broken leg? It wouldn't be good. Well, what comes with a broken leg? A lot of pain, right? So if we only address the symptoms, we never put it in a place to be healed properly. And so this is the same for our emotional state. If we're always in a cycle of discouragement and we only deal with the symptom of it, let's say it's isolation, that that spirit has an open door to keep on coming back in. But if we address the spirit and its purpose we will actually break the cycle of it. So to combat discouragement, you, have to, you don't attack the symptoms. Relieving the symptoms is only a temporary fix. To combat or confront discouragement, you must identify the area of lost courage and step into it. Say this again. So discouragement separates you from courage, Right? So how do we confront discouragement? Okay, where am I called to? There, let's go. Let's step into the place of calling. Step into the place of purpose. This is how you attack the virus of discouragement, not just the symptoms of it. You step into calling. You step into identity. You step into purpose. Now, if we only address the feeling of discouragement, we will will remain in the cycle of it. So when I feel discouragement, I have to say, wait a second, what haven't I stepped into that I need to be stepping into? Because why is it doing it? It's trying to rob you from courage to step into identity, to step into vision, to step into purpose. Are you guys following me? You know, if we say, you know, uh, well, the symptom of discouragement is is um, let's say isolation. So you just get around a lot of people and then the the symptom subsides. But then a week later, a month later, it comes back. So we have to actually address, we have to know where we're called and go for it. So discouragement does not always attack the area that seems obvious. You make a step towards destiny and discouragement comes through financial pressure. How about this? This is where you're called to, you're excited about it. And what happens? The, the washer breaks, right? The car needs a new part, and it's the part that's not in the U.S. <laughs> and only 0.3% of mechanics can fix it. Now, I will say this the spirit of discouragement does not have the power over these things, but they happen. But it will attach itself to the emotion of it. I'm going to say that again. The spirit of discouragement does not have the power to break your washer, but it will attach itself to the emotion of the washer breaking. Where we say, Not again, not again. So the Spirit will, like when we step out, when we go for the things of God, when we step into calling and vision, it will come through relational issues. How many of you have have ever had a troubled relative? And when you're like, you have this moment with God and you're going to step out and then the relative does this thing again that they always do to pull you from what you're called to. Maybe it's coworker issues. I basically call this the not again tactic. Not again. Not again. So am I just preaching to my. I know Reuben's listening. <laughs> like I said, the Spirit doesn't have power over these things, but when they do happen, it says, oh, let me attach it to that emotion. We will shut the door to discouragement when you step into courage to have a firm determination. As long as you forfeit your power to your circumstances of discouragement or discouragement will become predictable. It would be like clockwork. If I forfeit my power to my circumstances, guess what's going to happen? There's always going to be something. I'm going to say that again. Think about it. If I give my power over to my circumstances, there will always be an issue. Come on. Another tactic of discouragement is to keep you in crisis, which distracts you from purpose. Why is this important to know? Because not every crisis is your personal responsibility to resolve. I'm going to say that one again. Not every crisis is your personal responsibility to resolve, especially when it goes to someone else's choices. See, a lot of times, as leaders, as parents, we want to protect rather than saying, will you accept the responsibilities of your actions? And if we always try to fix things, we'll never really be stepping into what we're called to. You see, when you try to resolve every crisis, you begin to lose resolution on what you're called to. If I spend my time and resources, giftings, talents, energy, physical and mental, emotional capacity on things I was not meant to resolve, what's left for what I was meant or called to do? I didn't say this was easy, right? I didn't say it was easy. So when you're called to, what you're called to will have its own crisis, battle, mountain, and giant. So if you're fighting everybody else's giant, what energy do you have for what you're called to? If you allow the crisis to distract you from your destiny, there will always be crisis. So if we're called to, then we were created to. And anything outside of that is dysfunction. Let me give you a perfect example. This is in Acts 6, 1 through 4. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. What? What? Rumblings of discontent in the church? The New Testament church? <gasps> but I love it. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, so more people, more issues. I love this. The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in their daily distribution of food. So this is an issue of discrimination, right? And it goes on to say, So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running food programs. Now, The scripture doesn't say that, but I believe that was Peter saying that. Because (laughs) Peter usually says stuff like that. You know, we apostles cannot be spending this time on this stuff. That's what he's saying. (laughs) I got to be in the word, people. And so brothers, select seven men who were well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. So this is not just some food program issue. They needed seven men full of the Spirit, well-respected, and full of wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. It's not like this wasn't a noble crisis to fix. Right? The widows of the early church. Come on. thou that's a worthy cause. It's not like it wasn't the Christian thing to do. It's not like the apostles' motives could be judged. You know, apostles, Jesus said to be a servant to all. What are you doing? But the apostles knew the season they were in. Are you guys seeing this? And what was their season? To study the word, to be in prayer, and to teach the word. Although the responsibility was right and noble, it was not theirs to take. You have to understand that this was a full-time responsibility. Why else would they need seven men who were well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? Well, they needed to be well-respected because this was, a, this was an issue of discrimination, right? Wait. Wait. The Greek widows are not getting enough. Well, no, the, can you see how this goes? You know, we think some of these things are only because of the time that we live in. It happened all the time. Now, I know this is a side note, but a lot of times we talk about fake news. We have an issue with fake news, right? No one has never heard that. Okay. All right. But when Jesus rode from the de- rose from the dead, What happened? The Pharisees pulled the people over, the guards, and said, hey, this is what you're going to say, and we're going to give you money to say it. Fake news. Right after that verse, what happens? Jesus gives the great commission. So what is the remedy for fake news? To go into all the world and preach the gospel. Come on. That was a side note. That was a little extra for you guys. So Acts 6.6, these seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them. In In verse 7, so God's message continued to spread. What was the result of the apostles' decision? The message began to spread. Why did it begin to spread? Because they took their time in prayer, studying the word, and preaching the word. Are you guys seeing this? The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. This is the result of seven men taking responsibility, freeing the apostles to do what they were called to do. It's interesting that the scripture emphasizes that many priests were saved. Why is that interesting? Because the priests knew the law. And what were the apostles doing? Studying the word and saying, this is how Jesus fits into what you already know. Are you guys seeing this? So it was because of the revelation and the apostles received through the word that they could say um, that, that Jesus was a part of this scripture, which they would not have time to receive if they took the crisis on their own. Now, this is a big thing, right? But like I said before, if we take on every crisis and we feel like we need to fix everybody's things, we won't have time for what we're called to. And then guess what happens? We get frustrated. We get disappointed. And we say, you know what, God? You said this over me and nothing's happening. Well, are we taking on crises that we weren't meant to take on? Scripture makes it clear that no one had a problem with the apostles' decision. Acts 6-5, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They liked the idea. The most powerful and liberating action you could ever take is to hear and obey the voice of God. His voice partners with our action. Many times discouragement can be traced back to delayed obedience. And why is that? Because our advancement is halted because we're missing the key that only obedience could bring. Do you realize God tells us to do things so that something inside of us can be unlocked or an opportunity can be opened? And a lot of times we're asked to do things that we do not feel like doing. And God is saying, if you walk through that door, you'll see the next step. You'll have the next key. So the truths that are waiting to be revealed through the act of obedience, open doors that cannot be walked through until you walk through the opportunity before. See, a lot of times we're, God, give me that opportunity. And he said, we'll go through the door that I gave you. Because you can't go through that other door until you walk through this door. And the maturity that is established through surrendering your will that in turn prepares you for the weight of the new level. God, I want more. Well, walk through the door that I've asked you to so that you can experience the maturity of hearing my voice and obeying so that you can handle the weight of the next level. I love Oswald Chambers even the smallest bit of obedience opens heaven and the deepest truths of God immediately becomes yours. Yet God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you obeyed what you already know. So what is it saying? I won't give you more until you experience what I've given to you. Going back to Moses, be strong and courageous for you must go. The commands, are God, the commands of God are always there to, to release an encounter for us. So to combat or confront discouragement, we have to go where we're called. So now I'm going to go through real, really quickly some practical steps how to break the cycle of discouragement. And Some of it is a little review, but it's always good to hear it again. Whether you feel like you're in a cycle of discouragement or just experience discouragement on some level, I believe that these will help you. Now, these, these steps are in no particular order, but they, uh, if there was a first one, this would be the first one. So we have to become aware of what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. So you have to become aware of what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Because if you don't realize that you're in discouragement, you won't address it. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Another version will say, for it determines the course of your life. So know the condition of your heart. When you make this verse a goal, you begin to become more aware of what your heart is telling you. If we never take time to watch over our heart or know what's coming in and leaving, we won't know when our heart is telling us something. And the more we become aware of it, the more we'll recognize when it says, wait a second, don't allow this thought in or don't, don't allow this to come out of your mouth. Once you recognize that it's discouragement, take these steps. Psalms fifty-six, three. I love this. Actually, this is the verse that Maxwell is learning this week uh, for, uh, for school. He loves it because it's real short. <laughs> Psalms 56.3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I didn't tell him about Jesus wept yet, so I'll save that one. For... <laughs> so in other words, when I want to close myself off, I run to you. Whenever I'm afraid, I direct my attention to you. So how do we do it? Here's some practical things. Read scripture. Pray and listen. I, I find like sometimes when, when we're in a state of discouragement or we're frustrated, our prayer time is more about talking than listening. But I believe that we can get real freedom if we would pray and ask, but then also listen and receive. So to journal, decree what you already know. If you you don't have any decrees, pastor has tons of them that he would love to give you. You just got some more? Remind yourself of the promise, pray in tongues, worship in song, rejoice in the Lord. All these things are saying, whenever I'm afraid, I trust you. I put my attention on you. Watch what comes out of your mouth. So this is a great tool for heart awareness. There's two reasons why. Because what comes out of our mouth actually reveals. Remember how I said we need, we need to become aware so that we can actually address. So when we start saying things like, I'm done, I'm done, what is my heart actually saying? There is something going on inside of here that needs attention. Right? Right? Oh, not again. See, when we hear these things coming out of our mouth, even Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's actually revealing what's going on in here. So what does Proverbs 4 say? Uh, it It says, watch over your heart with all diligence. How do you watch over it? You hear what you're saying. Because out of it flows the issues of life. Proverbs 18, 21. I love this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So this verse is plainly stating that the tongue is powerful, and it's up to you where you would like to extend that power to. Either it's going to be life or it's going to be death. But what is the purpose of the tongue? What was its original design? I believe it was created to be a power... It was created to be powerful so that we could empower things. And empower means to extend authority or power to someone or something. Before the fall, there wasn't death, right? Before the fall, there was not death. So what was the original creation of the tongue for? To empower life. Come on. But now, because of the fall, we have an option will we empower death or will we empower life so do you realize that your tongue has the power to to sustain dead things have you ever rehearsed an old offense you haven't thought about it for a while and then you saw you saw the person in the grocery store saw him in Walmart I don't know <laughs> and those emotions come back and then you start rehearsing it what happens Dead things come back to life. You begin to speak over it. Or you rehearse discouragement. You begin to see it everywhere. See, if we rehearse discouragement, we're going to see disappointment wherever we look. And so really think of the tongue as giving uh, CPR to things in your life. Are we going to speak life so that it can produce life? Or are we going to speak over dead things and breathe life into them? So the tongue isn't evil, it's just powerful. So unaddressed discouragement will loosen your lips. Proverbs twenty nine, eighteen Where there is no vision the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. Remember, discouragement blurs our vision. Do you remember that? And perish means to let loose or to ignore, to be loosened from restraint or to show lack of restraint. So when you don't address discouragement, you will cast off restraint of what? What are we casting off restraint from? Our tongue of what we say. A discouraged believer will say the most unfaithful, filled things. Have you ever been so discouraged that you just say things and you're like, why did that even come out of my mouth? Because I've lost vision and my, loose, my lips have become loosened. And this is why it's so important to watch over your heart. This might be for someone, but we need to stop confessing our inability to handle something. I just can't handle it. Just can't handle it. Why well, are you called to it? Well, I'm not sure right now because I'm in discouragement, actually. But, yeah, I am called to it. Well, then you were created to handle it. Come on now. If we keep on saying that we can't handle it, what are we giving power to? The ability to not handle something. Philippians 4 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Philippians 3 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is it is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, as and it is a safeguard for you. So what is Paul doing? I said it before, and guess what? I'm gonna say it again because it's actually a safeguard for you to hear it again. To rejoice in the Lord. So another way that we can disarm discouragement is refuse to allow your past negative experiences the power to determine your present level of obedience. So if we look at a situation and we'll say, well, look at what happened before, and that's going to determine my level of obedience now, we have to confront that. Because how do we break the power of discouragement? We step into what we're called to do. It's important to be aware of your season. This is really interesting. Because remember when I, when I said, don't let your past negative experience affect your obedience now. So if we allow that, we could be missing an opportunity for a harvest today. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I love Jesus hey, throw down the nets one more time. Lord, I want to let you know that actually we've been out all night and we've done this already. And what does the Lord say? Throw down your nets one more time. Wait a second. I've experienced failure in this multiple times. Throw down your nets one more time. And this is why it's important. I will say this. This is why it's important to know and hear the voice of God, because you could be doing something that just isn't productive, right? But if you know it's the voice of God, that's the most freeing and liberating thing if we hear and obey. We need to stop trying to fix the feeling of discouragement and confront it head on through acts of faith. If you find yourself in discouragement and it's a cycle, we need to be looking and say, okay, Lord, where can I step out? Where can I be obedient? Where have I missed it? And find those things and step out in those things. So if we were called to, then we were created to. And anything outside of that is dysfunction. So how do we break off discouragement? I believe another way is we need to confront or we need to conquer and collect small victories. I love the example of David. So he's this young kid that his brothers aren't that thrilled with. We can see it in scripture. And he gets there and and he's like, What's going on? And and they're like, uh, there's this giant. And then David goes, well, what will be the reward for defeating this giant? Two people that were there for 30 days doing nothing. So you can see how this went over well with his brothers. And so he, he goes to Saul, and, and then they give him armor and all this stuff. But one of the things that he says is that he has confidence in the Lord to deliver him because he's already defeated the lion And he's already defeated the bear. And so there might be giants in your life that you might not be ready to take on because you haven't taken the time to defeat the lion and to defeat the bear. And so I encourage you to find these small victories. I mean, when you even look at Israel, why were they always complaining? Why were they always in a state of discouragement? Why do you think that was? Well, they just came from 400 years of slavery. Think about it. They didn't have victories. No kid was saying, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. No, you're going to be whatever your master says. And but we're set free, aren't we? So we have the power to defeat the lion and the bear through through, uh, our obedience to where the Lord leads us. So I encourage you to look at things within your life. What are small things? And it could be real small things like, well, maybe this is a giant, but procrastination. Is, is that a giant? Maybe. Or maybe it's, maybe it's like that thing that God told you to do that you've just been pushing off. Just go do it. Or maybe it's a small thing when you're in, when you're in the store and the Lord says, go share something to someone. And if we do it, and when we're obedient, if we do it, and we see the victory of it, what starts happening? You start getting a a culture of victory. See, a lot of times, discouragement likes to hide itself behind failures. Why are we discouraged? Because another failure, another failure, another disappointment, But if we can start finding small victories and then we write them down and we say, wait a second. When you told me to do that, this person got healed or this person got set free or wow, I actually did a report. Three days before it was due. Amazing. That was victorious. So let me really quickly just give some of the ways that we can disarm discouragement the first one is to be aware that you're in discouragement the next one is when we are afraid we will trust him the next thing is that we need to watch what comes out of our mouth because it actually helps us become aware of what's in our heart We need to refuse to allow past experiences, past negative experience, the power to determine our present level of obedience. We need to recognize what season we're in. And we need to stop trying to fix the feeling of discouragement and confront it head on through acts of faith. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. Could could you just pray this with me? Father, Father, thank you for your loving kindness kindness. and your goodness that leads me to repentance. repentance. Forgive me for giving an open door to discouragement. discouragement. By faith, faith, I close the door to it and make make a firm decision to not allow that door to open again. Now, give me fresh eyes and ears to see and hear what your plans are for my situation. I know that I can trust. And whenever I'm afraid, I choose to run to you. My future is bright in the safety of your loving arms. Thank you, Father. Thank you, sir.